There are many ways people listen to vision, including on smart speakers. Just tell your smart speakers to play Vision Christian Radio. Alexa, play Vision Christian Radio. Vision. Yep, it really is that easy. You can also say, play V180 Radio for our music channel. It's just another way that Vision is helping you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this morning was a member of one of the most highly acclaimed rock music bands of all time. And the first Australian group to make the top 10 charts in the US, it was the only band of any nationality to have scored a top 10 hit in the US for six consecutive years. Happy anniversary, baby, got you on my mind. I'll be home on a Monday, somewhere around noon. Please don't be angry. special guest this morning was a member of one of those great rock bands and you'll remember it if you were a part of his generation most specifically but our special guest today is George McArdle who played with several minor bands before the age of 21 when he joined the Little River Band and carved out a niche as one of the greatest bass players ever to come out of Australia. And while a member of LRB, he underwent a profound spiritual conversion to Christianity. George left his successful music career. He gave all his material riches away and enrolled in Bible college. He then had to struggle through all of those issues that you might do on the other side of celebrity. Issues like baptism, new relationships, balancing religion and rock music and becoming a celebrity speaker on the church circuit. Well, a special welcome to you, George McArdle. Thank you very much, Neil. It's fantastic to be here. Well, George, uh, there's a lot of things we can talk about. And let's start our conversation remembering those early days because so many listeners will just be... uh, Astounded that there's even a member of LRB who is sitting in the studio with us today and going to be talking about some spiritual things because I'm sure this is the sort of surprise you must get from a lot of old friends, a lot of people you meet. What sort of reaction do you get these days? Uh, People love to, as you said, they love to relive the old memories and days, you know, back in the heyday there. And it's they can actually... um, view it as a bit of a disappointment that I left the band to go to Bible college. I've, I often get that sort of reaction. But uh, the to me, it was a no-brainer. The way God uh, interrupted my life back then, it just I just knew I had to do something about it. And just to carry on the way I was was not, a, not an option for me. We'll talk some more about that. And for listeners, uh, if you're not so familiar with this history, uh, let me just remind you of some of those things from the past, George. When you say, uh, you know, turning your back on those things, those 
places of, you know, fame and fortune and mm. the way that people think that's counterintuitive. Why would you turn your back on that sort of fame and fortune? But you were on the stage when LRB was inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame at the ARIA Music Awards 1974. On that night, you performed Help Is On Its Way. I mean, it's amazing to think of those sorts of levels of recognition. Uh, you were the primary uh, player. You played bass on Diamantina Cocktail. Uh, it won Best Album in the Arias in 1978. You were nominated with the band for a Grammy Award for Lonesome Loser. Uh, I mean, when those sorts of, when the news comes that you've been nominated for a Grammy, how do you feel when that happens? Uh, well, I'd left the band by the time we recorded Lonesome Loser. I never played on that song, but I did play on the first demo of it in my house in Melbourne. David and I got together and we did some, as we often did, did some recording of ideas and we put down a, a version of Lonesome Loser. So I can claim that I did play on it. And I wish I did because it's one of my favourite LRB songs. Okay. But no, I didn't, I didn't actually record on, on that particular song, which is a bit of a disappointment. But so far as uh, being inducted into the ARIA Hall of Fame, right. uh, I mean, a lot of people would, uh, well, whole lives are spent aspiring to such levels. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it was a, quite an honour to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. And it was a great night. I took my, my three daughters with me to Sydney for the event. And they put us up at the Sanford Plaza, I think it was called. And we were treated... We Went to the venue in a limousine, and uh, it was very exciting for my girls. And she, they all met a number of celebrities, and it was a, a, a kickback to a, a time that they knew nothing about, you know. So um, there were a lot of people there that uh, knew me, and my kids were, you know, do you know that person? You know, was, <laughs> I, you know. Was, so I've had it's a different um, time. Uh, for them, they they weren't born when I was in LRB, so it was it was really interesting to see their reaction to that. You can have this contrast between a former life and a present life, and we'll talk some more about that because there's plenty more to bring out when we talk about a a conversion to Christianity that happened yeah. in those days. Yeah. Let's stay with uh, stardom and celebrity for a moment because hobnobbing with. Uh, a lot of other rock stars mm. uh, being invited, no doubt, to uh, endless parties, uh, people uh, rolling out the red carpet wherever you go, uh, perhaps plenty of money available because of uh, hit records and yeah. concert appearances, people asking you for your autograph. I mean, this is the sort of life that celebrities lead. Uh, you had that life, but there was something that was not quite satisfying for you in, in living a life like that. Well, it's, it's it's not satisfying being a celebrity. And uh, even now I have somewhat of an aversion to, um, to it because it's not real. And uh, I, I can be in certain company where the whole conversation is not real and it makes me quite uncomfortable where you're always trying to think of something really big and important to say. And, you know, when you go home and you're, you're with your, your wife and your family, you don't talk like that. And I get increasingly uncomfortable 
in uh, conversations and company where I've got to have something amazing to say all the time because it's not real. We don't live our lives like that. We all get up in the morning and have a cup of tea and toast and, you know, we do ordinary things and and uh, to be extraordinary all the time is is um, a, a tall order for anybody. Is it the case that if you want to befriend a rock star, you've just got to treat him like an ordinary person because this whole facade, uh, the wearing of the mask, as you say, the expectation that you're always going to say something profound, well, you know you're in the company of friends when people treat you like a normal person. Well, that's right. I mean, um, I... I have some friends that are in the industry, but they're, you know what I've found, guys that, or people that want to be, they're more interested in being a pop star than a credible musician. I know guys that um, are credible musicians, good, great musicians, and they're they're normal. And they've got a a long-term career in the industry because it's based on hard work and, um, doing things properly. But I, I think people that want to be pop stars, they shine brightly for a short time and then they're gone, you know. And uh, guys that have worked hard at their, at their musicianship, they're normally just down-to-earth people. And, of course, something of true value to be able to reflect on your own career too because we're going back to the days when uh, computerization wasn't, as much a part of the music industry and the actual musicians played on the actual records and you were playing up on stage and there wasn't a whole uh, electronic uh, digitalized uh, support to what you were doing. You were either talented or you weren't and uh, and you you wear this sort of, uh, I imagine it's a a little bit of a banner of pride that says, well, at least I was a genuine musician when I was a pop star. Yeah, I I practised... Every day for four to six hours, and I was uh, even when I was touring, I would have um, a little practice amp in the motel room that would go from motel to motel, and one of the road crew would bring one of my bases up to the room, and that was just that was just how I I lived, and I wouldn't go out and do the sights with with some of the other guys. I would stay in the room, and I'd be looking through books and learning new pieces of jazz pieces and stuff like that. And I was pretty diligent with my practice routine. Because you can't afford to fail when you're on stage and yes, you're that's... in in front of perhaps tens of thousands of fans. Yeah, you've uh, got to be and... on top of your game. It's, <laughs> it's a, it was a very high standard, a bit nerve-wracking really. And uh, if you did make a mistake, you'd look sideways and you'd be getting a glare from one of the one person in particular, <laughs> let's just leave it at that. And then yep. after back, backstage after the show, he'd make a beeline for you and say, oh, look, um, that's the second night in a row you've done that, you know. So um, you look at, look at um, movie clips or video clips of artists at that level, it's a very high standard. Do you keep in contact with those members of the Little River Band? Uh, do they occasionally give you a call when they drop into yeah. uh, your neck of the woods? Do they drop in and say hi? Not so much dropping in. I I was in Nashville last October and spent a couple of days with Beeb. We went out, out with our wives and had a couple of meals and we hung out for a day and went 
to various music stores and looked at some guitars and we did a few things like that. We had a lunch together and had a beer together at a at a pub there and it was great. And you know what I found with Beeb that um he's mellowed with the years as well, you know, and and uh we just had a great time. We connected really well. I was I was so glad that I made the effort to go and see him, you know. It was a really good time. And these days, if you're getting together with Beeb Bertels and you're going to look at guitars in the music shop, uh, the guy behind the counter doesn't recognise you these days. Is it? A, is that a good thing? Is it? A, you know, if uh, <laughs> well, if they knew you? they were trying to sell a guitar to you know to someone who was uh, had a certain high level of fame globally with your music, I mean, uh, you know, you're not recognisable perhaps <laughs> these days. Yeah, well, it's really funny, but I um, I wanted to buy. A Fender bass when I was in Nashville. I said to my wife, I've got it. I want to buy a new bass, you know. So we went to this music shop, Guitar Center in Nashville, and I walk in. Now, I look totally different to when I was in LRB, but I walk in and here's this guy sitting on a stool trying out a bass, and he looked at me and he said, George McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't escape. <laughs> yeah, but, well, no, he'd seen something more recent. Of me on um, on fa- Facebook or something on the internet, but you know, being a bass player, there was that bit of a connection there. You could have knocked me over with a feather that after all these years on the other side of the world, somebody says that to me. You know? yeah. Well, George McArdle is our guest this hour. We're going to be talking a little more, perhaps, about some of the past. We're going to talk about some of the present. We're going to talk about. An amazing time when when George had an encounter with Christ, a conversion to Christianity. But let's hear one of George's more recent songs, and it's entitled Eternity. We're going to talk about eternal life this hour as well, and inviting you to be a part of our conversation on 1-800-316-316. But George, you wrote this song uh, some years ago, and it's something of a tribute to uh, a man that is historically one of the giants of of our Christian heritage. And I'm talking about Arthur Stace, the man who wrote Eternity uh, on the sidewalks of Sydney. Uh, your inspiration behind the song we're about to hear. Well, I was at Bible college and I'd often go down to Sydney for the day. And um, one day I was walking along a, a footpath in Sydney and I came across this word Eternity written in beautiful handwriting in chalk on the footpath and I stopped and looked at it and I thought who would write that and of course as the as the story unfolded I realized that he would do that in the middle of the night because I'm thinking how would you be able to do that in all the busy foot traffic on a Sydney city footpath so I did a bit of research and discovered that he did it he would go out at night and he would walk around and he would write that and then people would see it uh, when they came to work, but um, yeah, I I wrote the song as a tribute to him. Well, let's have a listen in. This is George McArdle. The song is "Eternity." It's a tribute to Arthur Stace. There was an old man in Sydney town 
Our special guest is George McArdle. That's his tribute to the great Arthur Stace, Eternity. We're back with more of our conversation just ahead. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. Good to have you along with us, the Friday edition of 2020. Our special guest this hour is George McArdle, the former bass player for the Little River Band. And uh, George, we're inviting our listeners to call and be a part of our conversation today, 1-800-316-316. Let's take a quick call. Shelby is in Sunnybank in Queensland. Hello, Shelby. Welcome along. Hello, uh, Neil and George. George, you probably won't recognise me because uh, I'm not standing in front of you, but um, I remember when you gave up the LRVB and um, took on the um, guitar plan on the altar of the um, um, Assembly of God, now Hill Songs, um, and played up there for quite a long time. Um, and because I, I, naturally we lost touch with each other because I moved up to Northern Territory and you would have moved around and I think you went to another church and and so on. But uh, mate, nice to hear your voice, and it's even nice to hear that the gentleman in America um, knew who you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you, Shelby. It's uh, great to speak to you, mate. I, uh, yeah, you're right. I, I don't. The name doesn't ring a bell, but um, I'm sure if we, uh, like you said, stood in front of each other, I would say, oh, yeah, I remember you. Shelby, thanks so much for your input today on 2020. Our talkback line's open on 1-800-316-316. And it must have been quite a privilege uh, for those churches that had you playing the bass. And uh, Shelby mentions uh, the church that's now called Hillsong in Brisbane. And mm. uh, to have you as part of their music worship team must have been pretty uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, I, I uh, this might sound a bit strange, but I think it's worth mentioning that I... I in the early days, I struggled with transitioning from being a, uh, a musician on, on, on the stage and at times showing off on my instrument to playing in a church situation where it was primarily focused on worshipping the Lord. And at one stage, I decided not to do it anymore because I would tend to show off and you know, be the old George. And uh, I, I came home one night and I said to my wife, I'm not going to play anymore. I'm going to give it up totally. And uh, I'm going to write a letter to the music director in the morning and, and tell her that I'm not going to play anymore. So my wife said, okay, that's what you want to do. So that night I was woken in the middle of the night with these waves of the power of God flowing over the top of me. And I'm laying there in heaven and audibly the Lord spoke to me twice and said, who are you following? And I said, you, Lord. And he said at the second time, who are you following? And I said, you, Lord. And I got up for work the next morning, and for days I'm in heaven, walking on clouds, just thinking about what had happened. And days went past before I even realized that um, he liked my music. He liked my playing. He didn't want me to make that decision. And I never, ever made it, and I'm still playing today, I still practice diligently on my bass and I'm, I've got a recording studio at home and, and I, you know, the Bible says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. And I realise that even though I was critical of myself and my motives and that he wasn't. Is there something significant about the way that all of us and your gift as the bass player is... Uh, as a worship musician, uh, as a 
a renowned and uh, and capable musician. That but we all have different gifts, and we all need to get to a point where we lay those gifts down like on the altar, and uh, we submit our gift to God, so mm. that so that we've laid our gift down, and then He allows us to take up that gift and use it for His glory. Is that the way it works? Well, my understanding of it back then was to lay it down was to give it up. But that's not the case. The Lord showed me that very clearly, that I didn't have to stop playing. And uh, so I struggled with that. But as a matter of fact, I did stop playing prior to that experience, you know, for a number of years. I didn't even own a bass. I, <laughs> I sold them all. But God showed me very clearly that night that um, we weren't on the same page as far as my music was concerned. There's a lot of adjustments that are made Mm. from that initial encounter with Christ, then going through a process of discipleship or becoming Christ-like. Just a couple of minutes in the lead-up to news. When we talk about being dissatisfied with the life of celebrity that you had as a pop star, Mm. Uh, the, the transition time. Describe that encounter with Christ the first time. I got baptized in the church and I went home and my initial reaction was, well, I'll never go back. I'll never go back there again. And I was very happy with the decision and I went to sleep that night and the Lord woke me up in the middle of the night. My bed was shaking like an earthquake. And again, that, the power of God was flowing through my body so violently that my bed was shaking. I know it sounds surreal or weird, but this is exactly what happened. God arrested my attention this night and um, the ceiling opened up and I had an open vision of heaven for about 20 minutes and he spoke to me there in the middle of the night. And uh, the rest is history. I, I left the band probably three months later. I had three months to really wrestle with, well, what does this mean? You know, And I, in the end, I... I left the band and I went to Bible college for three years. It's pretty, <laughs> in a nutshell, you know. In the, a nutshell, it is an amazing encounter with God and a life-changing experience and uh, certainly remarkable because of your career there as a bass player with the Little River Band and deciding to give that up. We're going to go to news and we'll continue our conversation beyond the news. We also want to talk about eternity and eternal life. George left his successful music career. He gave all his material riches away and enrolled in Bible college. And while that might sound strange to some, isn't that what Jesus said we all ought to do? George McArdle, when people confront you with that idea that uh, you gave it all away, oh, silly George McArdle, uh, how do you respond? Because isn't this what Jesus called us all to do, uh, to put away all of those things that might be hindrances and run uh, with, uh, with fervor to follow Christ? Well, not only that, but, I mean, that parable he told about the man who found a treasure in a field. And he went and sold everything he had and bought that field. Jesus is painting a picture of having that attitude. But more more so than having that attitude, I think what we sometimes miss is that Jesus is saying, hey, this is something of tremendous value. And and I'm wondering whether we don't ever really grasp the, the value of what we have because we don't have that attitude towards it. 
When we talk about the gold and the glory, which is the pursuit of the natural person, Uh, We want to be successful. We want to have things. We want to be seen to be successful. Uh, We can contrast that with the treasure of salvation. As you say, perhaps we don't value that treasure of salvation the way we ought to. Well, in John chapter 1, Jesus doesn't have much to say. And in John chapter 2, it's the same. He just makes the does the miracle of turning the water into wine. But the first time he really has something to say in John chapter 3, the first thing he talks about is eternal life, the very first thing. And it's a bit like superannuation to a lot of people. It's something that you're not going to be able to touch until you're 65 or 70. And therefore, you talk to a young guy that's just bought a new ute and he's got a mortgage and he's not that interested. But uh, I think that's a wrong concept. Jesus said specifically that that is a wrong concept. He said that to Martha. She said, Lord, if you'd been here... My brother, referring to Lazarus, wouldn't have died. And and he said, your brother will rise again. And she, yeah, I know, Lord, he'll rise again at the resurrection. You know, She had that attitude sometime in the future. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And the Bible often refers to eternal life being a person. It's him. Eternal life is him. And when we have Jesus, we have the life. The Bible is very clear about that. So Jesus is the treasure in the field. Jesus is the treasure in the field. He gave himself to be our treasure, and we should we are inheriting him, and we transition constantly from this world into into eternity, and uh, it should be a seamless transition. And when we talk about those possessions, uh, understanding uh, that Jesus said you can't serve two masters, talking about God. And mammon, or those worldly pursuits, Mm. Uh, you can't serve the two. You'll either love one and hate the other. Uh, It's more stark, isn't it, when you've had one, when you've had the success, uh, that you'd made a decision to reject those things and to take a hold of the true treasure. Uh, That's in itself is a lesson for people who might be grappling with that idea. Yeah, I think you've got to get up every day and say, Lord, I choose you. I choose you today. And uh, you're laying your life down before the Lord every day and and live a righteous life. Always make decisions that are saying, God, I choose you today. doesn't mean you have to be a fanatic and uh, go and live like Mother Teresa in India. I mean, but um, you have to say, Lord, I choose you today. And then when, you know, Psalm 91 is such an incredible description of how God cares for the person who makes that decision every day and says, God, I'm choosing you today. And it says, you know, um, you will not have to fear the uh, pestilence that stalks at night, the disease and the terrors of nighttime. You don't have to fear. And it's true. God will come at those times when you need him most. He will be there. And he always has for me. So the treasure isn't measured in dollar figures. The treasure is as you're quoting there in Psalm 91, the treasure is in being wonderfully uh, uh, encapsulated in the hand of God, Uh, my refuge and my strength, uh, the strong tower in a time of adversity and need. Uh, There's much more to the treasure that is Christ than just having a few uh, possessions that will rust and be destroyed. Well, 
in Romans it says that if the spirit of him who raised, if the spirit of God who raised Christ, this is so powerful. See, this is the treasure. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, he will also by his spirit give life to your mortal body that in, as he indwells you. So that is an absolute treasure that you cannot put that in terms of dollars and cents. You go to the doctor and he says, you've only got so much time left. That's all they can do. But the Bible says here that um, the same way that God raised Christ from the dead, he can do it to you. He can put new life into your body. How can you measure that in dollars and cents? Sometimes we think about the treasure being eternal life, something for the future. Mm. But there is a sense, isn't there, and as we understand this as Christian believers, when Christ comes to indwell us, eternity starts now. Eternity is in our heart. Uh, The eternal life of the future is not something that is way off in the future. This eternal life has begun already within me. If it's way off in the future, it can be somewhat irrelevant. I mean, Jesus with the woman at the well, everybody thinks of that encounter in terms of the woman, that she was a sinner, that she was a Samaritan, that she had five husbands. And you hear so many sermons on that. But the main focus of that encounter is what Jesus said to her. He said, the, the, uh, if you ask me for the water that I shall give, it will become a bubbling spring welling up to eternal life. See, he always brought eternal life into the now. And uh, we, I think it's wrong. I really do. You, there's so many scriptures that talk about eternal life. To know him is to know eternal life. Um, it says in 1 John that, the, tes- the testimony that God has, God himself has said regarding his son is that he is eternal life. And we should not be thinking it in terms of superannuation. It's, I think that's wrong. The Bible clearly says that it's an indwelling. It says in 1 John that no, murder ha- no murderer has eternal life dwelling in him. So it's supposed to be dwelling in us. Let's talk about the Spirit of God dwelling in us because I note that when I talk to artists, uh, whether they be painters or sculptors or uh, or musicians, mm. uh, there's something that is a little more tangible when I talk to people who have this experience of having had a Christian conversion because what was making the music come before is different to what makes the music come now. And so when you talk about the indwelling presence of Christ, uh, rivers of living waters, uh, the music that you now produce is different to the music that you would have produced before because it's inspired in a different way. How do you reflect on that sort of thing? Well, it is inspired in a different way. I was in Nashville in uh, October last year and in a very dark place in myself. I'd had a, uh, a word from the doctor that was pretty grim and I was quite distressed about it. And I'd wake up every morning distressed and I'd, I'd think, man, I can't, I can't live like this, you know. And I was walking in the evening in Nashville and I got back to the house where we were staying, Airbnb house, and I'm walking up the driveway and the Lord spoke to me. And he showed me a place. He didn't speak in words. He showed me a place. And the only way I can describe it 
is to say eternal life, that he is eternal life. He showed me himself, and it took away all the anxiety and the fear. And I wrote this song, which I brought in. I I would love to share it with uh, your listeners called Lonely Night in Franklin because it was a very dark night for me. And God totally turned that around in, in the in a in a moment, in an instant, with a revelation of who he is. And it took away all the fear and anxiety about what the doctor had said, you know. Well let's have a listen in to that song. This is George McArdle, A Lonely Night in Franklin.
So our special guest, George McArdle, Lonely Night in Franklin, and just discovered our privilege today to be the first ever to hear that song outside of the recording studio. Uh, it is absolutely brand new, George. Yeah, normally normally you wouldn't do that, but I thought because you invited me here and we were uh, planning to talk about eternal life, I thought, well... That song was written specifically for that reason, is of what uh, God showed me there in, in Franklin, which is just outside of Nashville. And uh, so I thought it would be great to bring it in and share it with your listeners. Well, thank you for doing so. And uh, because it's got that meaningful sharing your heart about mm. the dark time that you had sure. with a serious prognosis from your doctor. Mm. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. George McArdle is our guest, former bass player for the Little River Band. We're talking about not only those early days, but also what's happening in George's life today. Back with more shortly. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour, George McArdle, the former bass player for the Little River Band and a conversation about that was then, this is now. We are taking calls on 1-800-316-316. In fact, George, let's take a call from Penny in Tasmania. Hello, Penny. Welcome back to 2020. Hello, Neil. Hello, George. Hi, Penny. Nice to hear all the things you've been through. And... um, I remember the songs very well, but I'd really like to know what you um, did in Bible college and where you um, hoped for it to take you. And I just want to encourage you for taking the most wonderful step that you'll never regret. It's a fabulous life. Thank you for doing that, for joining us. That's wonderful, Penny. Your response, uh, I think the question was more about uh, Bible college. Yeah. I mean, that's a pursuit that not everybody decides to take, but you decided it was the, the right path for you. Yeah, I, I did a diploma in theology and Christian ministry and a three-year diploma, and uh, I'm glad I did it. It was, a, You know what? It was a great time of um, like a little greenhouse moment in my life to help me transition from where I'd been to where I am now. So especially from that point of view, I don't I don't regret it. Penny, thank you so much for your input today here on 2020. And we are running out of time, just a couple of minutes to go. I mean, some listeners will say that song we heard uh, just a few moments back, 
beautiful song, The Lonely Night in Franklin. I mean, there is music that you are producing today. You're releasing CDs. In fact, uh, I want to be able to make an opportunity for listeners to uh, receive. We've got a, we've got a few copies of one of your CDs to give away. Uh, so I'll uh, I'll have uh, John, who's manning the telephones right now. Uh, John, if you can take a few calls, with the first three callers through on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen, we'll take your details and we'll get a CD into your hands. For those who might not call through and might not win, and but they want to get a hold of that song or. Uh, they want to get a hold of some of your other music that you've produced since those LRB days. Uh, what's the best place to be getting in touch with you, George? Well, they can always um, download it on iTunes. Uh, the, that CD that Eternity is on is uh, distributed by Dream Records in the US, but it's it's just through iTunes. Or they can go to my website, which is www.georgemccardle.com and uh, get in contact with me go to the contacts page and they can contact me that way. And, of course, these days there are followers uh, and they're not just in Australia but people around the world who remember you from those days uh, with LRB and sure. and they're interested in getting a hold of your latest releases. It's a yeah. different it's a different sound uh, to uh, some of those uh, LRB sounds but it's yeah. it's a George McArdle sound. That's right. Um, yeah, I do. I do have uh, uh, people that... Remember those days? I I got a phone call a couple of years ago. It might have been last year uh, when Dolly Parton was out here. The uh, bass player had been a Little River Band fan, and um, he rang me up and we had breakfast together. And then found out through the conversation that we were brothers in the Lord, and we we ended up spending the whole day together. And uh, I went to the show that night with my wife and uh, a couple of my daughters. And we've we remained friends. I when I was in Nashville, we hung out together quite a few times. And he took me into the studio. And when he was working, he's a studio musician. He's a great musician, one of Nashville's finest. And uh, yeah, that, those sort of things still happen. Well, just great privilege for us to have you as a guest on Twenty Twenty today. I say that genuinely. I want to point people to your website and also to draw attention to the biography that was written about you. Uh, Denise Austin uh, wrote the biography and uh, your biographer wrote the title The Man from Little River. And uh, people can get a hold of a copy of that biography also from your website. Now, georgemccardle.com. That's georgemccardle.com. Uh, get a hold of the biography. Some of George's latest music. And there is also a fan page uh, that you can Google. Google George McArdle and you'll find his fan page too. George, uh, a great privilege and uh, thanks so much for taking time to share your heart with us today here on 2020. Thanks very much for the invitation, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.